fear of doing something the wrong way shouldn't stop us from doing something the right way. Welcome to The Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity in the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Okay, well, this week we're going to deal with something, well, we've dealt with it in the past, but it's something no one ever really wants to talk about, church discipline. Why are we going to talk about this? Well, I came upon a podcast that I listened to and had a very different take on church discipline. I want to go through this because what I found with this was here was uh, someone who was going through and basically, you shouldn't say that just because they have a different view of church discipline that it's wrong. Don't just jump in those type of things. But they may make some valid points. So I wanted to hear what they had to say. And I will say this, when we look at the church, if you got my book, What Do We Believe? I have a a chapter on the church. And one of the points that I make out is as the definition of church changes over time, we end up seeing that one of the things by the time of the Puritans was when they came to what defined a church, they defined it as a church was where you had God's word preached. It had to be proclaimed from the pulpit. You had to have the ordinances of the church. In other words, you had to be practicing baptism and the Lord's Supper. And a third thing that they thought was so important that they put it into the definition of what a church is was church discipline. It was so important that they actually put it up there as something that was necessary to define church. When you think about it, church discipline is something no one enjoys. I don't, I've counseled plenty of pastors as they've gone through issues and situations dealing with church discipline. I don't know a single pastor ever that ever enjoyed or had good sleeps before having to do church discipline. It's something no one looks forward to, no one wants to do, something that everyone wants to avoid, yet God would say it's necessary for the church. Now, when we look at church discipline, the the clearest passage that we have is Matthew chapter 18. Now, I'm actually going to be headed out to the Philippines in a few weeks in in May. Last two weeks of May, I will be doing a basically a, a conference, a seminar on church discipline. We're getting a bunch of Filipino pastors together to talk about this because there's such confusions on this. And so, as I'm out there, I plan to go through Matthew 18 in detail because a lot of people don't always understand it. A lot of people have misunderstandings. With all the steps, some people have three steps, there's actually four, so I want to quickly go through those steps, and then I want to focus on what this other person's view was, and why I think that it was not a good or fair representation of what the text says. Now, there's four steps, I believe, in Matthew 18. First, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him, key word in there, alone. You go and tell him alone. If your brother doesn't repent. In other words, he recognizes there's a sin issue here, but he refuses to repent. 
then what you need to do is you need to go and and call two or three witnesses. Now, those witnesses are there to witness the unrepentance. It is not guys you go and you tell them your side of the story, make sure they're in, in agreement with you, and once they're in agreement with you, then you go. No, they should be there to witness unrepentance. In other words, they're there to see that there's they that the person was not repentant. Okay? Then, if they're still unrepentant, then what you want to do is you want to go to the entire church. The The leadership of the church should go and call everybody to call the person to repentance. That's the third step. And only after they refuse the entire church encouraging them to repentance, that's when you put them out of the church. Some people just skip that third step and put them right out of the church. Now, I have we've dealt with this in more detail on episode 24 of the rap report so if you go through there you'll we go into a lot more detail so if you want more detail on how church discipline should be done go listen to the rap report episode 24 here's what I thought was interesting with this I thought what was interesting was this person's position on church discipline focused on the word sin if your brother sins against you and one thing he did do well, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, is that he did say that we should look at this in context. Very important to always do that. But here's what he did. He said the word sin really had to do with felonies. I mean, a felony. Now, the, the word for sin that we have here is the, a, the very common word from a common root, meaning to, to, you know, to miss the mark. This is in the Greek, it's an aorist, active, subjunctive. Now, what does that mean? The subjunctive is where I think this individual was getting his position. A subjunctive in the Greek is a mood that normally presents the verb action as being probable or intentional. And so, the subjunctive can also express verbal actions in terms of mere possibilities, but I think he's focusing on the one part of it being intentional because he's saying it's where for serious things, for felonies. But here's the thing, that same Greek word that we have here in Matthew eighteen fifteen, we also see elsewhere in Scripture, for example, in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. That's a general thing when you're looking at it there, but let's get a little bit more specific because we will also see that this is used and the free gift, this is Romans 5.16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. This is speaking back of the sin of Adam. This is going back to what happened in the garden as that first sin. We will see this term is also used as for all sin fall short of the glory of God. So when we see that this is a general sin elsewhere, you even see this, and this is the passage I think more interesting, is John 9-2. When the, Jesus comes upon a blind man and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, they're asking who sinned. Could he have sinned if he's born blind? What sin could he have intentionally done as a felony against another? Now, their whole focus on this was that this was a sin that had to be done within community. 
And this was a sin that would be committing an offense, a, a felony type offense, a very, not a, hey, you offended me, I didn't like the way you said that type of, it had to be a strong case against someone that's breaking community. And his argument was this all has to be done within community. So the argument that this podcaster was making was that you don't do this against someone else. In other words, if you have someone who is, um, you know, outside of your own body of believers, your own church, you can't practice church discipline with them because they're not part of the body. I think that this process can be applied to everyone. I think it can be something that we can use the principles. Now, granted, we can't do that, those final two steps, really, because they're not part of the same body, but it can be done. I have done this where there was someone who was in sin and he wasn't part of my local body, but he's still part of the universal body. I was able to call his pastor, explain the situation, have him meet with the person, and and his pastor came to the same conclusion that I did that this person was in sin. And the person ended up trying to leave the church to avoid the church discipline, but they ended up bringing him, bringing the church to bring the guy to repentance. He wouldn't repent, and they ended up going and having to putting him out of the church. Now, they did that locally because of something he was doing online elsewhere. He was actually stalking a, a female and uh, basically causing her to be very nervous for her life for different reasons. And that's something that had to be dealt with. And so they dealt with it locally, but yet I'm not part of that body. Can I still follow through the principles? Yes, I can. I think that these principles do apply that basically outside the local church because we're all part of the universal church of Christ. There's one other aspect of the podcast that got me when we were looking at what he was saying, and that was basically that this just doesn't work. He's seen church discipline, it fails, and it hasn't been seen to work well, and therefore it shouldn't be done. Well, that's pragmatics. We should not define how the church should function by pragmatics. Just because something may not work well in other cases doesn't mean that we don't obey it. I've seen church discipline work well in many cases. Here's something that I've seen, though. I've seen preaching not work well by the world standards. Should we give up preaching? Well, there are plenty of churches that do, and they do drama because it's far more entertaining but the scripture commands us to preach. See, we shouldn't let the world, by the way, the world is not in favor of Jesus Christ. They're not going to be supportive of biblical mandates. So when the, we're going to look to the world and pragmatics to define how the church should function, I would think that's a real problem. So when we look at this issue of church discipline, we can't look at it by saying, does it work? I think what we have to do is look at it, what does Scripture say? Now, I'll grant, for argument's sake, that in Matthew chapter 18, the church as we know it was not formalized. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples prior to Pentecost, prior to what we would think of as the church. So some would say that he's speaking of this within the synagogue-type community, or the community of his disciples, The question is, when we look at this context, do these principles carry over into the church, and could Christ have had this future church in mind? I think he he does. 
Because when we look at the context of where he's speaking, when you look at the context, plenty of these other things fit for the church as a whole. The issues of pride and humility, he'll he'll deal with an unforgivable servant right after this, dealing with the issue of having someone who owes someone something, but, but demands, even though they've been forgiven, demands people to forgive and to, to pay up when they've been forgiven so much more. That's, we would still say, for the church today. So why would we exclude this one part when everything else before and after this, we would say, is for the church and the principles still come forward? So I would see someone that's trying to argue that Matthew 18 is only for those serious offense, those things that are great offenses against someone, not just a a little offense. Now, I'm not saying you have to go against everything. You don't have to sit there and bring every little thing that someone does up. I actually would make an argument that that you shouldn't do that. Because if if you go to our website at our store at Striving for Eternity, you'll see that we have a process of reconciliation card. It's a quick reference card. And if you were to get that card, it's a very helpful card when you are trying to work through these issues of church discipline. But if you get through the card, the first side of that card is all the things you do before going to the person. And all those things that you have there are going to be things, is this really a sin? Do I really need to go to the person? Is it just a preference issue? Can I let it go? There's not always a need to go to the person. There sometimes is a need. And that card helps to determine some of those things. Sometimes you think that there's a sin, and the sin really is with you. So these are the things you have to evaluate before you go. And to say that it doesn't work because maybe you haven't, you've seen abuse, I don't think is a valid way of approaching these things. I don't think it's the way we should go about it because when we do this, what we end up doing is, whether we, we are doing it purposely or not, we are letting the world define how the church should function. And that is not a good thing to do. So I'm going to bring in a friend for, as a guest co-host today after this commercial. The Five Solas Podcast, a weekly podcast hosted by James Watkins that is dedicated to the Reformed theological distinctives and their continued relevance for the church and world today. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Join us each episode to discuss the truths of these foundational rallying cries of the Protestant reformers, the prophetic challenge they present, and the sound wisdom they provide. As we delve into their biblical meaning and theological significance and reflect upon and appropriate their truths, we will be engaging issues in the church and world. Each week, from the rich insight of Reformation Christianity, we will be showing all the manifold ways in which this material helps challenge and direct the current church in its life of worship and witness, and confront the idols of our age with biblical discernment and a sound apologetic in a manner that is as open and transparent as possible, while challenging you to seek the glory of God in all that you do. Soli Deo Gloria. All right, that is the Five Solos podcast. That is a new podcast on the Christian podcast community. We like having them with us. A great podcast. If you have not been listening to them, you want to check them out. They've been going through, well, the Five Solos of the Reformation recently. They have got some great content on there. 
And it is one you definitely want to check out. James is doing a great job there. So I have a guest from another podcast. And this guest, you've you've heard him before. He's been on here before. And if you listen to his podcast, you're going to know that I, I deserve a little bit of abuse. I'm going to say that up front. He, he <laughs> but he is, he is the host of both Growth Project Radio and Five Minutes with Danny Purvis. The only problem is I don't know that he understands what five minutes actually means. And therefore, he's come up with a term for me, as he did on his show. <laughs> he referred to me as a Time Lord. Danny, you still won't tell me really what a Time Lord is, because I don't watch Doctor Who. <laughs> so, Danny, you've, you, I, I gave you a little bit of a hard time on your, your podcast. I, because yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Oh, I, I sent in a video because you've been going through the New Testament at, at a slow pace, a good detailed pace, correct? That, that is true, yes. I've been going through it at a little quicker pace because my two-minute daily podcast is, you know, the Rap Report Daily is only two minutes Monday through Friday, so i got to be quicker about it. I, I, am, I should let you know that I probably will be finishing up the entire Bible this week. If not, I might carry over to early next week. No pressure. <laughs> you're, you're, you, you just finished... Second Peter, you think you think this week you could finish up the entire New Testament? It, it, well, it won't be this week, but <laughs> it's very possible we could end up in a tie. It could be next week because we're doing first, second, and third John. Ideally, we're doing first, second, and third John tomorrow, and then we will do Jude and Revelation the uh, the following week. So it's possible we could end up in a tie. So, well, I, I did say in the comments because your show is live, so I was watching live and putting comments, and I did say I thought it would take you two weeks to actually just to get through Jude by itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that's not to say that it would not be possible for me to take two weeks to go through Jude. I just don't think it's likely that's going to be the case. Even though you know. I, there have been a few other times I thought we would have gotten through things a little quicker. So it it is possible. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I'm tr- I'm trying to think. How, you know, I was thinking of grouping Jude with First Peter because there's so much yeah. similarity there. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Instead of grouping First and Second Peter, I am I am kind of probably going to do like you. I'm probably going to group all three of the Johns, and if I do that, I'll be done. I'll be done this week. So then yeah, I'll, if you're done this week, you win. You, yeah. you get the, uh, whatever, whatever it is, you win. You win. So, so your, your co-host sent a, um, sent a thing on Facebook to, to bust on me. I don't know how he did it. He made it look like it was actually a di- in a dictionary for Time right. Lord, and he defined a Time Lord as, uh, and he gave, he gave some nice Greek for it. <laughs> so it looks like it came from, from the, the scriptures. He, a time Lord is a person who takes it upon themselves to monitor the time of others. A fictional character from the show Doctor Who, Andrew Rappaport. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I don't think he, I don't, actually, I don't think he manipulated that at all. I think that's actually the, uh, an actual entry into, uh, into the, uh, the dictionary. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> And, and, you know, hey, look, I, I like your five minutes with Danny Purvis. It's, I've, it's just never been five minutes. No, no. We call it five minutes of truth. You're right. And, and you're right. It has rarely, if ever, been five minutes. In my defense, I, and there are two of them, one, Robert spends a whole lot of time on that intro. 
So, you know, you can't count the intro. You got to start counting from the moment I start talking, which makes it a little closer to five minutes. And the other thing is, you know, since we're talking about Greek, you mentioned some Greek words in the uh, in the in your intro and, and, and just now as well. You know, as well as I do, there's a difference between Kronos and Kairos and uh, <laughs> that both words def- uh, defined as time. I, I'm a Kairos guy. The quality of what happens in that time, not the time itself. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, the thing I couldn't believe is you didn't know what a Time Lord was. Who does not know Doctor Who and what a Time Lord is? You really don't know how pop culture illiterate I am. You know what? I envy you to a certain extent. <laughs> That's a lot of good that comes from that. Yeah. So, yeah, but, it, you know, the, the five minutes of, of truth that you have – I'm just going to say anyone can go and, and listen to Andrew Rappert's rap report daily. And the two minutes is two minutes from start to finish. I mean, it includes the intro and the outro. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But that's a minute and a half right there. So you really only get like 30. Well, seconds. no, see, I don't do a long. I mean, my intro is maybe eight seconds. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You, you just got to get Robert there working on that. I, I know. I got it. Maybe it's an editing thing. Maybe that's <laughs> So, hey, listen, before before we get into discussing this, because I wanted to bring you on to discuss church discipline, um, for folks who may not have listened, you and I did a podcast not all that long ago where we talked about your book. You're, you have a book that's out called The uh, Marriage Pyramid. Great. Yes. Yes. And so with that, I want to I wanna just um, give a shout out for that and let folks know they can not only go and get that book, we do have... Also, the fact that that is something we're giving away, and this is something that we're basically—if people want to share the rap report, whether it's whether it's this episode or any of the other episodes, any episode, as long as they share it on social media with hashtag rap report—that's rap with two p's—that will count anytime during the month of May. And sorry, we're in April. Anytime in the month of April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not long though. We're only only a few more days in April. Yeah, well, so maybe we should since I have an insane May, we may have to just extend it so that I can <laughs> have time to pick the winner. That's true. You're gonna be pretty busy next month. Yeah. Yeah. So well okay, so we'll do April and May. We'll get we'll give you till the end of May. And if you want so there is an episode of the rap report episode fifty three that is the marriage pyramid with Danny Purvis. And if you download, if you share that one or this episode, it will count for two points. Any other episodes, one point, but just want to give that for folks. So Danny, let's talk about this issue of church discipline. I know you got an opportunity to listen to the same podcast that I did. Overall, what were your thoughts of their view on on discipline, and how would that differ from the position you and I would hold to? Well, it, it was very similar to to what you were talking about uh, in your uh, in your uh, your introductory segment. There, um, one of the things. First of all, let me give credit where credit's due. He emphasized from the very beginning not to take these passages out of context. That is good, solid biblical theological advice. We do that way too often. As believers, we spend way too much time trying to mine the Bible for quotes as opposed to seeing what it really means within the context it was originally written. And so he does that. I think that's one of the first things he says is we have to look at this passage in context. He's exactly right. 
I, I think he got the context off a little bit, but I, I do appreciate what he said. That is also another thing that he said that I, I appreciated. And that is that we cannot uh, use a tool like this for any perceived slight. It has to be for a legitimate, open, unrepentant sin. Uh, his point was, and, and some of the points that he made, this particular point I thought was really interesting. You kind of shy away from doing it because it's been misused in the past. Oh, okay, well, I will acknowledge it has probably been misused in the past. I get that. Um, but that's on us to redeem that. That's on us to make sure that we do it the right way, not toss it aside simply because it has been used in the wrong ways. Uh, but I did, I did see some, um, I did hear some some things that, that I thought were, were, were kind of issues. And one of the two biggest reasons why people seem to shy away, at least in my experience, tend to shy away from church discipline um, is that they, they don't understand the theology that's related to the idea of church discipline, and they, all, they see it too much as being a punitive measure. Um, it is not designed to be a punitive measure, not designed to be punishment. Uh, it's di- designed for restoration. And so I think a lot of what he was saying was couched in that mindset that this is all punitive. This is all from a punishment standpoint. Uh, and so um, I had some issues. I had some issues there with that. I, I didn't see uh, see it that way. Uh, don't see it that way from a scriptural standpoint. Um, and, and so there were there were some issues like that that I thought were were a little. They were different than I think the scripture teaches. They certainly are different than the way that I would look at it. I'm glad he's bringing it up. It's always good to talk about a subject like this. But to come to the conclusion, basically, what I my takeaway in listening to the podcast was we should almost never do church discipline. And you're right. There was a there was this aspect of uh, well, it doesn't work. Well, here's the here's the problem with it not working. Is what exactly what you said before? Is at that point when we start talking about something not working, it's because we are introducing the world's philosophies into our theological paradigms, and we just simply can't do that. Um, one of the biggest problems in evangelicalism over the last 20, 30, could be probably pushing 40 years, is that we have invited way too much of the world in uh, to what we do and to how we believe and how we talk about what we believe and how we act as a church. Uh, and uh, we've got to stop doing that. And I, I found that to be one of the more significant problems. Yeah, I think what you were saying, because I picked up on a similar thing with you, the fact that to me it seemed like his view of church discipline was more the way the cults use it as mm. a punitive thing. You, you, it's a control thing. You, you do what we say, or we're going to excommunicate you. Right. Where when I describe it, and if you heard in the monologue section, I'm saying it's all about bringing them back. It's the restoration. That's the goal. Yes. That's what That's we see exactly in, right. in Thessalonians. It, the. Well, 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 even in the even in the context of the Matthew passage, if you go right before uh, chapter uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen through nineteen, which is the passages you were you were talking about before, the passage right before that is is talking about the believer that wanders away and bringing him back into the fold. Mm-hmm. So again, if you're talking about context, this comes right after that, and that's the idea behind it. Uh, it is not designed now. Is could there potentially be a punitive element to it? Well, it could. It could eventually get to that point. But three of the first four of the steps that you're talking about are not punitive at all. Really, the only punitive action is when you, you disassociate that person from the congregation. Correct. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that I think if someone has the mindset that church discipline is a punishment, then maybe they come to that view 
that it's it's not biblical because i mean i think some of what he was trying to do was say he doesn't see it lining up scripturally because really his starting point was it's a punishment right. and god wouldn't punish the church however god does chastise his children yes we know that from scripture yes so i think that really the problem that i noticed and it seems you noticed as well is the view that he has of what church discipline's purpose is yes was off yeah i agree and when you start out with that what i think is an errant presupposition then then you're going to every every bit of your exegesis is going to be poured through that filter of being just a bit off and you, and really you don't have to be off I, i'm not a golfer by any stretch of the imagination i can count on one time on one hand how many times i've uh, i've played it and probably still have fingers left over but one of the things that uh, i uh, one of the analogies that i have heard come from that is that it, you know if you're you could be off a, a micro inch uh, centimeter from uh, from putting on the on the green, and by the you know, depending how far away you are from the hole, by the time you get there, uh, it could be three or four feet off off uh, off target. And so I kind of see it that way. When you start out, even if you're just a look, almost right is not right. And so when we when we when we just start out as almost right, when we get to the conclusion, we could be, end up being way off. My personal opinion, from a biblical standpoint, is that it, he's just a bit off on that. Yeah, and and I think that we as Leaders in a church have to very much be mindful of the fact that we don't want to do, we don't want to use pragmatics as the means of determining how the church should function. I agree. When when he said things like, "Well, this this it's been abused" or "it it never works," well, he may not have seen it work well, but just because it doesn't work, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. The question, as I said in the the monologue. The question we need to ask is, does God want us to do this? Is this exactly. what God prescribes? Yeah. And if God prescribes it, in my opinion, then it doesn't matter if it works or not. And he seemed to be really focusing a lot on the Matthew 18 passage, almost as if to suggest that, that and, and I'm not saying he, he did do this, um, but almost to seem to suggest that that's the only passage uh, in the in the New Testament that that refers to it, First Corinthians five one through thirteen, Second Corinthians two five through eleven, Galatians six one, Second Thessalonians three six through fifteen, First Timothy five nineteen through twenty, Titus three nine through eleven. That's just a handful of verses that seem to be specifically talking about this idea of uh, of church discipline. So it's it it doesn't even wash to say, well, you know, this was before the church and this was uh, during the rabbinical time and the Levitical times and it doesn't apply. I, I just I, first of all, that that exegesis for something like that, I mean, that causes a whole lot of other problems. You know, what else are we supposed to look the other way on because it happened during a different culture than ours 2000 years ago. So, uh, I I just think he was just a little off on that and as a result his conclusions became pretty pretty far off. And and one of the things that I think for the church, I think we we need to be mindful of, is that the things that God prescribes for us to do in the church are not the ways of the world. It's the yes. foolishness of the yeah. world. It's the foolish thinking. I mean, in our day and age, preaching. I have so many people that will ask me when it comes to evangelism. Well, does it work? Is it successful? And I know what they mean by that. What they mean is you go out on the, on the streets in New York City and you stand up on a, on a soapbox and you proclaim the gospel. How many people get saved? I don't know the answer to that. 
I mean, I really right. don't. I can I can say that I know over the the twelve thirteen years that I've been going to Union Square, in New York, I know the of seven people who have contacted either me, four who contacted me, three who contacted other team members. And mentioned that they got saved, but they had to go out of their way to contact us. They had to know our name. Right. Right. I, right. yeah, I've been going there for a long time, but what about the guy who just walks up there the first time, doesn't know who I am, doesn't know I'm there every week and walks off. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's got no way to contact me. He gets saved. How do I know? Yeah. And, and the reality is, uh, Andrew, it, it, it's, it's kind of none of our business, right? Yeah. I mean, we're called to proclaim the gospel. That's it. What God does with that proclamation of the gospel, that's between him and the other person involved. We don't have to answer questions like how many people got saved. It doesn't matter if it was one or a thousand. It doesn't matter if it was none or a million. That's not what we're called to do. I keep going back to Jeremiah. One of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, who was called by God from the very beginning and said, you're going to go out, you're going to go in front of these people, you're going to preach my word. Oh, and by the way, not one person is going to listen to you. You're going to be an abject failure. They're all going to reject you. Uh, and and so it's not, in, it's not any of our business to what God does with his gospel. Our business is the proclamation of the gospel. You know, I teach that in a, a sermon that I get asked to do a lot is defining success in ministry. I would look out of Isaiah chapter 6, the passage you just referred to, because here people say, in the world sense, he failed. He failed because everybody turned a deaf ear. Yep, absolutely. But that's exactly what God wanted. Therefore, just doing what he did, the proclamation, the calling of judgment was exactly what God wanted, and and he was faithful. And that was successful, because we tend to look at success from a worldly standard rather than looking at it as faithfulness. Yes, we do. Yep. And that is again more of the world. I tell you, and and I'm not I'm not I'm not casting aspersions and, and there were some good things that came out of this, but I was uh I was at Southwestern Seminary. I graduated in nineteen ninety four. If you know that year or that time period in the early nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties, that was when the whole church growth movement, uh growth church growth movement started and and, uh, and look there were some there were some uh, okay things that came out of that, uh, but one of the significant uh, downsides of that entire movement uh, was, one, from a theology standpoint, it made us a mile wide and an inch deep. We don't know what we believe or why it's true, because there wasn't a lot of the- theology was de-emphasized, doctrine was de-emphasized, and feelings were emphasized uh, more than anything else. But one of the other things is we, we started evaluating church through the lens of the world, and, and that, was a, that was a mistake that we are still suffering from. You know, I, MacArthur has a book, um, I think it's called The Vanishing Conscience, I forget which one, but he talks about the fact of pro- pragmatics, and that's really what was defining the church uh, a lot. And th- the thing is, is that for us, I believe we have to be faithful. And why do I practice church discipline? Because God says to do it. I mean, I don't enjoy it. It's yeah. not something I want to do. I don't want to have to go and confront someone. Now, if I'm confronting them because I... I think you've done something against me and I, you're going to make it right. That's a very different attitude than what we're seeing in these different passages when it talks about restoring a brother. Right. He's a brother. It's not, you know, and it's interesting because if you look in this passage, if your brother, well, you know, the word brother is a definite article. It's a specific part. It's, this isn't just anybody. Right. This is someone who is a specific, a brother, like the brother. Yeah. So it's it's someone who 
you're close to. And it is much easier to ignore. I know that many people use the verse that love covers a multitude of sins, and they use that to say, well, we should just ignore these issues. Yeah. Like, let it go. And there are times. not what that passage is saying. <laughs> not at all. Not even close. And, and yet, there are times we can let things go. I mean, if, if you do something to me and it's not a big deal, I should be able to let it go. If I can't let it go, that might be revealing a pride issue I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that, again, I want to I want to give credit where, where it's due. One of the things they mentioned in the podcast at the beginning, which I wholeheartedly agree with, and that he is exactly 100% right on, is we have too many people in the church today. Of course, it's outside the church too, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about that because we're not worried about that. But inside the, it has, it has seeped into the church, as the culture unfortunately too often does, is that you know, his point was, um, you know, just because somebody hurt your feelings, that doesn't mean that church discipline needs to get started. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to go after every single person that, that says something that, that kind of rubbed you the wrong way. And Ravi Zacharias has said uh, many times, one of my, one of my favorite sayings of his is, what do we do with a culture that listens with its eyes and reasons with its heart? And so we can't pour uh, these things through the filter of how they made us feel as much as they, okay, is this a legitimate grievance? Is this a legitimate sinful thing, openly unrepentant sinful thing that I need to engage? Or is this something I just need to go on with my life about? There, there are much bigger fish to fry. And he did bring that up, and, and, and I want to give him credit for that because that, that's a legitimate point. It is, because there's times where, you know, we sometimes will have, we think someone is thinking something. We have a perspective of what someone, why someone did something, mm. and they don't have that same view. I've seen yeah. this countless times where Someone's going to sit there and be like, well, you should have done this because of this. And it's like, wait, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking that way. Yeah. So uh, I want to, I want to talk about the role that church discipline has in the church, in the functioning of the church. Does it have a purpose for the church? But I want to do that right after. I want to first let your co-host from your podcast explain to us propitiation. In this is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.10 The word propitiation, as used in this verse, is one of my personal favorite words in all of the Bible. John Piper, in his book, 50 Reasons Why Christ Came to Die, defines propitiation as, quote, the removal of God's wrath by providing a substitute. The substitute is provided by God Himself. The substitute, Jesus Christ, does not just cancel the wrath. He absorbs it and diverts it from us to himself. God's wrath is just, and it was spent, not withdrawn, end quote. This very explanation of propitiation is what God used to open my eyes and heart to the gospel. Do you know Jesus as your propitiation? This has been another growing moment with Robert Houghton. And you can learn more about that with that you've listened to Growth Project Radio, where both Danny and Robert are on there. When I'm not in the chat room distracting them, they get through much more information. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I was beginning to I was beginning to smell a rat on that one. You know, I knew you 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 were were talking about being able to get to finished the entire Bible before we would get finished with the New Testament. <laughs> I kind of felt like you were you were you know you were goading us on purpose last week to intentionally slow us down to ensure. That now I know you yeah. never do that. Actually, but, no. Uh, you you said that you said that on the podcast. I went, wow, I never even thought of that. That's I should have tried that. No, actually, um, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the thought. 
because I there there is no fear on my part. There, I have no fear because I don't think that you're going to make it. Even if you join all three Johns together, you still have revelation. Yeah, and Jude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Jude's going to take you two weeks. No, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I was not trying to, to uh, there because there actually wasn't a competition. It was just giving you a hard time. I give you a hard time because of the five minutes of, of truth. That's oh, yeah. usually not five minutes long. But I just figured I'd bust on a, a give. I didn't know that Robert just he's glued to the to the chat, you know. Yeah, and, and see, here's the, here's where it's good that uh, that my eyesight is uh, is, is not <laughs> as good. See, I can't see the remarks. He can see them on the screen, but I can't. So he, he gets easily distracted with them. So well, I, what was funny know. was. I, he was he was reading different comments and I'm I'm giving funny comments and he'd just start laughing and then you'd look at him and he was like, Well, Andrew's saying it'll take you two weeks to get through Jude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then I got accused of of throwing you off and I'm like, Hey, I wasn't the one reading comments to him. Yeah, that's true. That much is true. <laughs> I just sent in the video. Yeah, so folks, right. you'll have to well, I'll I'll make sure to, to drop the link to that episode where Danny was going over first and second Peter into the show notes of, of this show. So you guys could hear that it was just, I will admit I was cracking up at yeah, that. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and he was, he was worried that it might throw you off. It threw him off. Not <laughs> it, th- it way threw him off. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people, when we talk about church discipline, they think it's something that's a, a bygone, something that we don't need anymore. Yeah. I think that there is some things that we can admit changed with the way churches are. You know, if you look in the first century, there really was one church in a town. It's not like we're in your town, in my town, there's, okay, maybe in your town, there's probably more churches on every street than mine because I'm in Jersey. Right. You know, I'm waiting for them to just outlaw them. But yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, we have. In, in both of our hometowns, we have plenty of churches. You have, you'll have several different kinds of Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches. You have all different varieties, even some that would have the same denominational background. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that in the first century, right? I mean, so you, no, had, yeah. you had a church of Corinth. If you didn't yes. like the church of Corinth, you didn't go up the street. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. to the second church of Corinth. Yeah, they weren't going to the first Presbyterian of Corinth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so there is that aspect where I think the church discipline definitely played a a, a bigger role when you have a, a village or a town where most people know each other. If someone is going through this, everybody is going to know about it. Yeah. I do think it had a greater impact back then. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of the picture that we're supposed to have with this. It wasn't that if people walk away from this idea of church discipline, that um, you have a bunch of people, several people uh, sitting in judgment over somebody else. It was something they did. Well, what about the sin that's in their life? They don't have any right to be set. That that's not, if anybody thinks that is missing the point 
of of uh, of church discipline. Again, it is it it is it is twofold, at least in my understanding. It is restorative to the person, and it keeps disunity from the body. And and when you look at how important that is, when you look at the second letter uh, of Saint Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, really a fascinating letter. They're all fascinating, but but really fascinating for the reasons. If if you know, Paul founded the church at, at Corinth. Obviously, they knew him, they loved him. Uh, they had some significant issues there, which is what he wrote First Corinthians about. Hey, stop acting like the world. You're doing things even the world doesn't do, and they find abhorrent. And so he goes through this list of things: don't sue your brothers, don't no disruption during the Lord's Supper, all of these, all of these types of things. And then something interesting happened. We know this because we can infer this from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which is drastically different than his first. Something happened. Either a person came into the the body, or it was somebody who was already in the body. Maybe that that came from within. Uh, started bad mouthing Paul. Started talking negatively about him, and it affected his relationship with the Corinthians extremely negatively, and de- negatively affected the body as a whole. So much so that Paul in Second Corinthians in chapter two talked about a visit that he took there that did not go well, and another letter previous to Second Corinthians that he had written, that was a very painful letter for him to write because of all the, the things that were going on. And so there was a lot of disruption in the body. There was a lot of chaos going on there. Anyway, it finally got straightened out. And the reason Paul wrote second part of the reason that Paul wrote Second Corinthians was because now this had all gotten straightened out and he was he was back in good graces with them. They were back in good graces with him. Things were going well there now. They had everything he got. And it's really fascinating part of Second of Corinthians where Paul mentions the person who caused all the problem. And he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but you can you can read this in Second Corinthians uh, chapter two, starting around verse four, if I'm rem- my memory is serving correctly. Basically, what he tells them is, "Look, you guys punish this guy, and that's good. Don't do anything more because you're going to drive him away. Right now, we need to worry about loving him and restoring him back." But this was the guy who caused the rift between he and his the church that he founded. And again, the idea behind the process was restoring that person, which Paul emphasized, and healing the body. And so if we keep those in mind, then, then maybe church discipline isn't as, as, as you know, this, this boogeyman that, that people might think it is. Well, I think, I think that what we see throughout the scriptures, you see is a passage you mentioned, 1 Corinthians 5, the purpose, the purity of mm. the church. Yeah. Second Thessalonians, again, the purity of the church. If you do not practice church discipline, you don't have a pure church. Exactly. You, you look at Acts chapter 5, when you have Ananias and Sapphira, what do they do? They lie and deceive, and their lives were taken from them for that, and what happened? Everybody was afraid. Yeah. All of a sudden, purity mattered. Like yeah. these little white lies. No, it's a big deal to God. So, the purity of the church has an effect on, I think, it has an effect on the way the world views the church. I think that you mentioned the church growth movement and all the stuff that went on back then. And it was an idea to kind of soften the church, make it where the world would be more appealed to the church, the church would be more appealing to the world. And the idea being that we would get more people in, the more people then they could hear the gospel. And yet the reality is I think what happened is they watered down the church, the purity of it, to where they're accepting of sin, they're accepting of bad behavior, because yes. it's more about getting people in the church and getting 
you know, butts and pews. That's they, exactly right. And, and one of the one of the biggest problems we had with that was that we made the world comfortable with their sin, which is the exact opposite of what going to church is supposed to be about, to be honest with you. That's right. And the thing is, is that when we do that, now has the world had a better view of the church since that? No, it had a, it has no. a worse view. Yeah. It, it, now the view is, well, gee, what? why should I bother? Because now they look at the church and the church looks like the world. Yes. Because it's not pure. Yep. And that's what's appealing to people that when they look at a church that really takes sin serious. I'm not saying there's sin police and everyone's going looking at everybody's life. But when you have a church that takes sin serious, it is a church where people want to go because it is appealing. One of the things when John MacArthur started the church 50 years ago, when he started over there at Grace Community Church, he implemented church discipline. Mm. And people said you're gonna you're gonna lose the church. Everyone's gonna leave. The exact opposite happened. Yeah, the church grew. Why? Because those that were genuine believers that want to grow, that want to be around people that are gonna encourage and be a good, uh, you know, be good for their own spiritual well being, they're gonna see that as a place to go. Exactly. I don't. I don't want to go to a church where they're tolerating sin. No, I want to be held accountable. I want, if I step out of line, for somebody to call me on it. You know, it's interesting being being in the pulpit and preaching and teaching like I have for the last 20 plus years. I have had people, you know, almost seem hesitant to to challenge me on something that I may have said from the pulpit because they like me or they were friends or whatever the case may be. I always tell them the same thing. If I'm wrong, you are doing me a favor. (laughs) You are doing me a favor. If you point out where I've been, even if it was accidental errancy, if, if I'm wrong on this, you're, you're helping me by doing this. That's the idea behind church discipline. Um, it, it, it's a reminder to me that, that I am not the same person I was uh, before I came to Christ. And as a result, I need to be held accountable for the things that I do that are contrary to what God has called me to do. I don't want to live my life that way. So you're, it's actually, it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, the Hebrews passage about, that, about God chastening or chastising his own. It's to me, one of the most fascinating pass, uh, parts of that passage, that's in Hebrews 12, uh, I think starting in about verse three, maybe through 11 or 12. Um, the word that's used there for, you know, don't resist the chastening or discipline of the Lord. It is not a word that's anywhere used in the Bible as punishment. In fact, the word is where we get the word from child for child. Paiduo, which just means child. So it means teaching a child. There's not, now that obviously presupposes discipline and correction, but it is not a negative term in any way, shape, or form. That's the idea behind church discipline. Can it eventually lead to a person being removed from the congregation? Yes. I'll be honest with you. I've been going to church since I was 20 years old. That's when I was saved. 50, so what, 33 years. I have never been in a church that's done this church discipline, at least not up to that point. It may have happened in the first two uh, levels, but I've never seen it in another one. So it's not something that I have been around really at all. Uh, now, I don't know what that means. Are they, are they hesitant to use it? Or are they just, were they just really bad about it and they should have been using it? I don't know. But the idea behind it is to help people, to restore a brother or sister in Christ, not to punish them. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that you're 
you know, you want the correction. You know, the other day I saw you going into a store and no. <laughs> so no, but you're not it, some pretty good eyesight seeing from all the way up there in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's the thing. There's Google Earth, right? That's where you see. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, where, where they drive through the uh, streets yeah, and catch all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, there is a thing that you brought up, and it, and this is the thing I always try to tell people, is that discipline, church discipline, is something we should do if we care about somebody. Exactly. Because if somebody is in sin and we don't correct it, and I'm sure you've seen this plenty of times like I have, where someone is allowed to sin, they feel enabled because no one's corrected them in the past, mm. and now they feel that no one should correct them because they've been doing it for so long. Yes, and you take offense at it. Yeah, and and then somehow you're in the wrong for bringing it up. The reality is, is that when someone is allowed to sin, when they're blinded to their sin, or they make excuses for their sin, they justify it, then they are doing themselves spiritual harm. They're not going to grow the way they should be growing if they're going to put away that sin. So the best thing we could do is to confront someone on their sin. But it doesn't mean we do it with a baseball bat. We do it with love. The whole thing of what we end up seeing is that we do it with love and compassion. It's it's something that, I mean, I think you brought up the Galatians 6 passage where you, you bear one another's burdens. Yes. But you do that with the, the stronger should come to the weaker. But Absolutely. it's because he's stronger that he can go to the weaker. Often because you've already dealt with it yourself. You've already gone through these things. You understand it. And it's not a time of beating someone up, but a time of coming alongside and discipling. Because this, we're not going to improve. We're not going to mature if we're being stagnant if we're being held back because of sin. So the best thing we could do is correct someone. It is loving. Absolutely. And and going back to that Hebrews passage where it says, do not resist the chastening of the Lord uh, because he disciplines those whom he loves. The passage goes on to say that if we've never been disciplined by God, we are illegitimate. We do not belong to him. So it's out of love that it's done. You're exactly right. If we use that as the paradigm, as the underlying foundational issue and motivation for doing this, that changes everything. It changes the way we look at it. It changes the way we do it. It makes us more likely to engage in this process in the correct and biblical way and loving way as opposed to any other way. That's right. And, you know, the thing that is that we have to be mindful of the fact that when we carry this out, our heart attitude, our heart attitude is just as much as in play as the thing that we're confronting. Absolutely. So, you know, church discipline is an important thing. It is something that we do have to practice in the church, but no one enjoys doing it. It's something that I think we could probably spend another couple of of hours on, and I will be doing this in the Philippines (laughs) because I'm going to spend about three hours discussing this. And it is an important issue. And we do have to check our motivation when we do it, but we shouldn't avoid it just because others abuse it or others have a view of punishment for it, just because the cults use it as a way of controlling people. Those things may be true, but that doesn't mean that we should put aside the Word of God and what it tells us to do just because it doesn't work or we've seen it abused. Absolutely, absolutely. The fear of doing something the wrong way shouldn't stop us from doing something the right way. That's a great line. So, 
here's the thing. Uh, I want to encourage you folks to you know go and check out for more on this. You could check out episode 24 of the Rap Report. You can see where we've gone into some detail to try to explain some of this stuff. Uh, I do want to let you know I will be going to the Philippines, and if you can help us out, that would be great. I have said this before on the show, both Justin Peters and myself, because of the need that's over there in the Philippines, we've committed to going, regardless of whether we can afford to. We're trusting God, <clears throat> but our, do- our monthly donors are who help us to do these sort of things. And if you can help us, if you can can support us so that we can do stuff like this, that basically makes it so we can do more of it. And we're going to be going, I will have several conferences. We got actually four conferences set up in the Philippines. I will be doing a conference on church discipline. Uh, Justin's going to do a session on child conversion, and that'll be one day. Then we go to another, we're going to be doing another conference. It'll be on open air evangelism. And then I'm going to be taking a team of folks out to the streets in the Philippines. The next day is another conference where we're going to be dealing with discernment. And then we fly from Manila down to Cebu to do another discernment conference. So we're going to have four conferences that we're going to do over two weeks. So be praying for us, but everything is covered once we land in the Philippines. The thing is, we got to get there. You could help get this teaching over there. If you want to help support us, you can go to strivingforternity.org slash donate. You can see the Patreon link. You could see the PayPal link, whichever you prefer. They're both there. You could donate and help us out. You can also go to support Justin. He's also having to pay his own way. And you can go to justiniwin.com. Why do I send you to that instead of justinpeters.org? Well, because when you see the little video there, you'll get a good laugh and seeing at the contest that Justin and I had back and forth of who could bless each other more. And you could, if you go there and let them know that you got from, you know, to justiniwin.com, it helps me with bragging rights on the fact that you're blessing him more than I'm receiving. <laughs> so, and if you need explanation, there's a video that on that page that explains it. But no, seriously, help to, to get us over there. Now, before we take off, we got a couple more segments here. Uh, one that I'm going to have Danny help me out with and one that I'm going to start now, which will be on our one of our ones we haven't done too often, but I want to get back to. Now it's time for Name That... All right, so it is time to name that fallacy. And what I want to do is give a fallacy we see very common, especially amongst those that believe in evolution. It is called confirmation bias. Now, confirmation bias is a specific type of fallacy that occurs when a person is given information and they have a preconceived idea of something, And the information basically contradicts the idea. So what do they do? They throw out the new information. In other words, the only information that they accept is the information that confirms the bias that they already have. Confirmation of bias occurs when you see people filtering out facts or opinions that don't fit with their preconceived notions. 
Now, we see this very often, and let us not think that it is just the evolutionists that do this, because you and I as Christians can do this as well. We can have preconceived ideas, and information comes in, and we just reject it. Now, what you heard during this show is both Danny and I not applying confirmation bias. We could have very easily listened to this podcast, just said, nope, that's wrong because church discipline is the biblical way to do things and just ignored it. But that's not what we did. We looked at the things that we heard that were correct. There was a lot that was said that was good in that podcast that we referred to. But there's a lot of things in the conclusions and the motivations and the why that we disagree with. But we didn't reject the whole thing just because we have a preconceived idea that we should be doing church discipline. That's something that I think a lot of people don't do. And I hope that Danny and I could have been an example to you on how to study things out. Because when even within Christianity, we're going to have things that we come to the scriptures, we come to different theological positions with people, maybe you're Baptist and someone else is Presbyterian. And you're going to look at some different views. You're going to have differences. We shouldn't reject what someone says out of hand just because we think that our preconceived ideas are automatically correct. That would be confirmation bias. If someone presents you something and you just immediately reject it without even listening to it, then you may be guilty of confirmation bias. So we always want to make sure that we understand the information given to us, that we're fair with the assessment of the information. I think that you saw with both Danny and I that we tried to be fair with this, the other views that we we're discussing here. And, but we're looking at what the scriptures were saying and saying that's really where we're going to try to get the answers. Now, it would be unfair to say that that other podcast wasn't looking at the scriptures. No, they were. And they were looking at specific words that we addressed to say, well, I think that the, the, the way they're interpreting it, it could be an interpretation. I just don't think it is the interpretation. See, if I was to just reject it out of hand, that could be confirmation bias. So we want to be mindful of confirmation bias. The other thing we want to do real quick, and this is where we're going to put Danny to, to put me on the spot. This is, I don't think we got to do this last time that Danny was with us, and that is to play a game. It's time now to start the spiritual transition game. All right, so we've been doing, gotten some interviews in and different things. We haven't been able to play this game in a while, and I don't think I played this with Danny when he was on last time. So I'm going to explain the rules to Danny, and he is going to put me on the spot. The purpose that we play this game is because many people find evangelism easy once we get into spiritual discussions. But getting into spiritual discussions, well, that's the issue. How do we go from the natural to the spiritual? Well, you can practice doing that, and that's what this game is about. It is about practicing how to transition from the natural world to the spiritual world. And what we want to do is help you to do that by making it into a game, something you can play. We're going to play this now. Danny is going to give me something. I have no idea what this is. He's going to give me something, and I have to transition from whatever object or whatever thing he gives me to the gospel, as if we're having a conversation on something, and I have to transition from what he gives me to a gospel presentation. And you get to see if I do it really well or just kind of stammer and think about things and go all over the place until I get an answer. Sometimes that happens. But 
when you're in a conversation, you can keep having a conversation, asking questions, continue until you figure out, how am I going to get to the gospel? If that's your goal, you can always take a conversation to the gospel. It sometimes takes a little bit longer. So, Danny, if you could give me something, and don't give me something from Doctor Who, which I won't get. Because you're probably gonna, I, I should, I should specify because you'd probably say, you know, something from Doctor Who about a Time Lord or something. I don't even know what else is in Doctor Who, and I'd have no clue. Right, I promise. <laughs> I, even though you, even though you're, you're, you're doctoring the rules here a little bit, you said anything, but then you're limiting. Okay, it. okay. I you can. Stay, me, I will stay away from. If uh, you want to go with Doctor Who, you can do it. I, I will. No, no, I will stick I, to the I'll rules. Stay away from I, pop culture things. No, no. I understand. I, I was accused on your show of, of, of uh, being, being a, a legalist to the rules and. A, I see that you want to be a legalist to the rules. So I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I will open it up to anything. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll show some mercy though. No pop culture references. So if I get this right, I can just mention any, what subject, anything. Any, yep. I want to make sure uh, you got it. So if I, so I can ask you, basically I could ask you a question about how you feel about something and it could be you can anything I want and, 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 and you'll take it from there. That's the, that's my job. We'll okay. see how well right. I do. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do this one then. Uh, h- how do you feel about those uh, those Tesla electric cars? Well, actually, I've never driven one. I wouldn't mind if anyone out there wants to give me a Tesla. I'm open to it. Uh, they kind of blow up, though, from what I understand. They, well, they have they have some some issues. What you mean with the batteries? Yes. Yeah. You know, I have I actually have a friend of mine who was thinking of getting a used Tesla. Because of the fact he he drives a thousand miles a week, oh my gosh! Yeah, and so when you're driving that much, the, his argumentation was: if he got a used Tesla, he can't afford a new one. But if he got a used no. one, it actually would save him on gas, and it, it it's actually a good stewardship. And he was asking me whether because he he is you know in ministry, and he was concerned if you pull up to a church, you know, and you're driving a Tesla. No, or, that's a great point. Or people think know that you own a Tesla. There's a stigma with that where, oh, that's a lot of money. But if he got it used and got it at a good price, but it's with the amount of driving he does, it would actually save him money. But here was the one thing that I said to him. Here's the question. How long does the battery last? Yes. You know, that's, that's the thing question. that we haven't really gotten enough data on to see how long is this going to last because you may buy a used one and find out a year later you're buying a new battery. And then what's the cost of the battery? Uh, those batteries are expensive. Exactly. That could be the cost of the car. Yeah. And so even though this looked like a really good deal, it looked like something that made a lot of sense on paper because it's saving him money. It's doing all that. He had to count the cost to say, you know, is it worth it in the long run? Because there's a lot of unknowns. That, that I don't know, but there's some things he did know. He did know eventually the battery was going to go. He just didn't know how long. He, he knew that it, that battery was going to be more than he could afford to pay. So looking at that, he had to make decisions. You know, that's very similar to other things because there are things in our life, we ha- other areas, we have to count the cost. There's things we know. For example, you and I both know that we're going to die one day. We don't know when that's going to be, but we have to count the cost for what's going to happen the moment after we die. Because you and I both know that we break God's law. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we lie, we steal, we we look at with lust. God says that that's committing the adultery of the heart. We break God's law. We'd be guilty in his sight. We would be deserving of the punishment. And he says the punishment is eternal death. We would deserve that, 
But God made a way of escape. God himself came to earth, died on a cross in our place, taking the punishment of sin upon himself that we could be set free. That's the good news. And so just like we have to count the cost of buying a Tesla, there's some things we know and things we don't know. The same thing we have to do with death. We know it's coming. We don't know when, but we do know what happens afterwards because our creator told us so. So that's how I would go from a Tesla. <laughs> hey, very good. I'm impressed. That was you didn't even have to think about that one too hard. Oh no, I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the thing with this game is that the more we play it, the more we practice this, the better yes. we get. I, I'm doing this on the show. I mean, everyone wants to throw something difficult at me. Yeah, and I would not be able to do that if it wasn't for years, 30 plus years of practice. Well, yeah, about yeah. 28 years of practice. Yeah. You know, my first pastor used to play this game when we, we, and all the leaders in the church, part of leadership training that he had, leadership training would start on Sunday night and he would drop an object, a set of keys, a glass of water, something. And you had to turn from whatever he put on the table to a spiritual conversation. The yeah, uh, first time I said, I can't do this. I could, you know, he did it in moments. Mm-hmm. And, Week after week of doing it, it, it took me for five minutes, down to two minutes, down to a couple, you know, like 30 seconds. I would, I would start to figure out how to do a transition. And really, the only thing it took was practice. And yet, this is the one thing for so many people, they say, I, I would love to evangelize. I just don't know how to get into a spiritual conversation. I, I pray that God will give me an opportunity. I don't pray that God gives me an opportunity to share the gospel anymore. Because I know that I could transition any conversation to the gospel because of practice, because I've been practicing it. Now, sometimes it doesn't always work as well. I, I could tell a story about I was in San Francisco, and I'm talking to this young lady. She had purple hair. I started the conversation asking her, what do you do for a living that, that you can have purple hair? Right? Because not too many businesses are going to let you do that. Exactly. And we started a conversation, and I thought I'd get in. I thought of one way to transition it didn't work. I thought of another way, just in, in just having regular conversation with her. Turns out she was waiting for somebody. I just thought, of, okay, I'm going to transition. I was just about to transition. And the guy she was waiting for walks up. And there went the opportunity. Mm. Now, that was a case where I kept trying to think of different ways to transition. I was trying different topics. And it did. she just wasn't going in the conversation that way. And eventually, he just says, so what are you doing in California? And so instead of trying to find some tactful way to transition, I just came right out with it. I said, well, I'm here because I'm a Christian speaker and I'm at a conference and I was speaking on on the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's actually what I'd like to talk to you about if I can. (laughs) Really bad transition, as you might say, but it was the one that was there. Absolutely. And so... You know, I don't blow, I don't worry about like, oh, I blew it. I didn't give a good, a good transition. It doesn't matter on how I get to the gospel as long as I get there. (laughs) And and that's been one of the things that has paralyzed people for so, so many years is this unthinking that we can mess this up. We cannot mess this up. God is sovereign. He is going to use us. He doesn't want our ability. He has all the ability in the universe. He wants our availability. He's going to use us where where we are. We cannot mess this up. The only way we can mess this up is by not doing it in the first place. We're not responsible for other people's salvation. We're responsible for proclaiming the gospel. And God will use us in those circumstances. So, you know, when you when you 
come to the understanding that God is the one who's sovereign. This isn't a sales pitch. I don't have to close the deal. I don't have to, it's not all of that stuff. I could give the greatest, for lack of a better word, presentation of the gospel to 10 people sitting there and everybody walks away and everybody, you know, never wants to hear it again and never, never comes to faith. That's not, that's, that's not on me. That's, we can't, we cannot hose this up. And I can't tell you what a great relief that was for me when I really came to the point where I understood that God is sovereign over everything, including salvation. I cannot mess this. Yeah, that was, I had the same experience where I used to, I had that freeing feeling of realizing it's not up to me to save them. And the fact that I could see people who think it is up to them. And I watched a guy when I was over at the, at the, in England at the Olympics, and I saw a guy that was chasing someone down. The guy wanted to leave the conversation, but this guy's like, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta convince you. Mm. It's like, God is sovereign. God will save who he wants to save. Boy, is that freeing. Oh. Because, you know, like, you worry, what if I say the wrong thing? You can't. No, no. I mean, when you say it, that's what God intended for you to say, right? That's exactly right. God ordained that. And God can ordain, you know, the guy who led me to Christ said something really offensive and stupid. He said something about knowing how I, my mother passed away, knowing how uh, I could get very emotional about that. He said something about my mother that was, it was theologically incorrect, but it got me thinking, so God could use something that could be offensive even, and I know others who have said that, you know, and I remember a friend of mine who was sharing the gospel at, at the gas station, I know, okay, in 40, 49 states, you guys don't understand this, but in New Jersey, you're not allowed to pump your own you gas. You can't pump your own gas? I realized that when I went to Princeton Seminary. Yeah. I was, that really threw me off. <laughs> yeah, and so... Here he's, you know, so the nice thing you can pull into any gas station, there's someone to share the gospel with him. And my friend Joe was sharing the gospel with this guy. And this guy had just been divorced. He's very emotional about it. And Joe said something that afterwards he kind of said he wished he didn't because he kind of realized it came off really bad. But he said something about the guy's divorce that really upset the guy. Mm. And he, he basically said, you know, you keep saying you're not a sinner, but the fact that your divorce shows that your wife disagrees with you. Mm. <laughs> and the guy went to throw a punch at him <laughs> and he ducked under it. And the guy, he told me the guy actually spun completely around, fell back against the pole, slid down the pole, put his hands in his face and started bawling his eyes. Mm. And, and the throwing of the punch was the last effort before he just collapsed and just broke down and ended up getting saved. Mm. You know, you could say dumb things. It doesn't mean we should try to say dumb things. No, I agree. But in an effort of sharing the gospel, God's going to use whatever he wants to use. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't mean that if I say something stupid, someone didn't get saved because of me. Exactly. That's exactly right. When I, I think back to uh, the Pharisees telling Jesus to tell his disciples to be quiet, and Jesus said, if they're quiet, even the very rocks will cry out, which means from an ability standpoint, we're about as useful to God as a bunch of rocks. Uh, but he chooses to use us. He uses us in those moments uh, to get his message across, to get his His uh, His message of salvation to those who desperately need to hear it. That's right. So again, folks, if you want to share this episode or any of the Rap Report episodes with hashtag Rap Report, Rap with two Ps, share those on social media at the April and May, we're going to do both months, so you, you still have time. We will be giving away two copies of The Marriage Pyramid. You say, but I'm not married. If you ever intend to get married, you want to get this book beforehand. It's going to solve a lot of the problems you're going to have 
after marriage if you don't understand the principles. So I, I recommend this book. I think it's a, a, a really good book to, to get and get a hold of and get the understanding of this down because there's some great principles. You can go back to the episode where Danny goes through this book, I, the episode of 53 of the Rap Report, where married the marriage pyramid there we go through that go check it out get you more excited about the book but then share any episode with hashtag rap report you enter to win the contest and we're going to give away two copies of danny's book and we are thankful for danny for providing those i i don't we didn't pay for those i don't think you you no, no, you donated no, yeah, those exactly. so i should mention that up front that this is from his donation so you guys definitely want to go and thank him especially if you win uh check out growth project radio and five minutes of truth with danny purvis get more of his insights now danny uh just to conclude i know next next week on the my weekly i plan to um well, I'm not sure actually what I have. I have a couple different things planned, so I don't know which I'm going to end up doing. I may end up doing, um, I may end up doing some stuff on the on some cultural issues. But I know what I'm going to do when I wrap up my week, my daily. Okay, so I think my wife gave me this idea. I think what I'm going to do for the daily is start doing an attribute of God in two minutes. So I think I'm going to go through all the attributes of God in two minutes. So, Danny, we're going to see now. Do you think you could do one attribute of God an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that might be a little difficult. It, it might be uh, we might have to take a couple of episodes for each uh, for each attribute. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, and folks, check out uh, not only the i should i should mention you're also pastoring a church i never didn't mention that at the beginning i always mention your podcast but you don't mention your church community church in uh, central florida um just outside of st cloud actually a part of st cloud florida it's uh it's a great uh great little church and uh we uh we live stream the service every sunday uh at uh at 10 a.m so if you're not in the local area and and come visit us you can you can check out the live stream that's at harmony community church in harmony florida and what's the website uh it is harmony community uh that's a that's a really See, I, good I know Robert's the guy that does the technology. Yeah, he does all that <laughs> stuff. I, I, but uh, you know, you guys don't mention your the church as much on the on your podcast. But I know because we we wait till the end, and by the time you know, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we get a little rushed at the end because we're uh, we're we're running over a little bit. I didn't know if you knew that or not. No, uh, I, I you wait you run over. You mean you you run out of time? Yeah, so uh, that's because you do you do you do this time blocked show where yeah. I could go over a little bit on my hour long show like we're doing on this episode, and it's not a problem. I'm not a legalist about this. <laughs> yeah, so so we, we 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 always save that till the end, and then we're so rushed to, to close out the show that we forget a lot of stuff, uh, and that's one of them. But it's www.harmonycommunity.church. And uh, so that's the, that's the website and you can join us there. We have a Facebook page too, Harmony Community Church on Facebook, and you can uh, catch some of the, uh, the previous uh, messages. We, we live stream and record each message every Sunday. And if anyone is going down to say Disneyland or Disney World, uh, whichever Disney, one is, no, Disney World, yes. Disney World, they could stop by and for church on Sunday. Absolutely. You know? Yep. We are about uh, probably about 40 minutes from uh, from Disney World's property. There you go. Okay. So, um, 
you know, folks, if you're in that area, please check out that church because, you know, being that uh, if, you, if you listen to his teaching, you know that you're going to get some solid teaching. So, Danny, thanks for coming on. Oh, and thank you. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do when you wrap up the New Testament on Growth Project Radio. Yeah, something that's going to take a long time. I think any topic with you <laughs> could take a long time. All right, we'll, we'll see. Right, we'll see. We're going to have to change some things now just to show you. <laughs> All right, folks, until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Without the law. That's a general thing when you're looking at it there. But let's get a little bit more specific because we will also see that this is used to say, in, in passages where it talks about, um, and I just lost my place. <laughs>